Sometime between 2041 and 2070, nine previous Winter Olympics host cities will no longer be able to reliably host future games due to high temperatures. You're listening to Cooler Earth, a podcast of climate exchange. Your weekly dive into energy transitions, sustainability, environmental politics, and all things climate change. Each week, we feature special guests and in-depth discussions with your hosts, Amanda Griffiths, Ryan Maya, and Maria Virginia Olano. So today on the podcast, we have an exciting conversation because we're looking at the Winter Olympics. That should be the intro music. Special edition of Cooler Earth. (laughs) Yeah, and we're not just looking at the Winter Olympics, but the year-long training for the athletes and how they are facing challenges as snow lines are receding and they no longer have reliable snowfall. Even with man-made snow, it's become increasingly difficult for athletes to train because there's just not enough snow. And problems with man-made snow too. So some ski resorts on mountainsides are able to somewhat compensate for, for having less snow with snow machines. But even those snow machines, which are really energy intensive, they can only operate with below freezing temperatures. Mm-hmm. So with a lot of places, you're seeing temperatures lower down on the mountainside, just not being cold enough to really host a lot of winter activities. Yeah. And as you said, it's a very energy intensive process to to produce snow. It requires a lot of energy to freeze that water. It also requires thousands of gallons of water. But the energy intensity is ironically also contributing back to climate change. So it's kind of a feedback loop in a negative sense, sadly. Right. And I think the Winter Olympics, they really highlight what's happening, as Maria was saying, year round with mountainsides, because it's this huge ceremony every four years where we really focus in on what these athletes are doing. And and it's really a source of pride for so many countries that get to send their athletes there. So it gets worldwide focus on these locations. And as we're seeing the number of cities that are even able to host, and even those cities have to now be using a lot of man-made snow. And athletes are even saying that that man-made snow, it's not like natural snow to ski on or snowboard on. So they're having issues even on courses because that snow isn't the way that they're used to it being. Yeah, we're seeing that on TV too. In Vancouver in 2010 and the Sochi Olympics in 2014, the warmer temperatures there, warmer than average, led Mm -hmm. to bare mountainsides and really endangered athletes who were trying to perform and it affected their performances in the competitions. And actually, during qualifiers for the halfpipe at the Sochi Olympics, more than half of the athletes fell. And they all attributed that to the lack of snow, the bare mountainsides, and the need for man-made snow, which is not as favorable to skiing and snowboarding as natural snow. And all of this is actually forcing athletes to have to travel to other places in order to train and to conduct their their training in between Olympic Games, which ironically also contributes to more greenhouse gas emissions Mm -hmm. as this increased travel is happening. And even some of these athletes that do travel find that in these remote locations, glacier Mm -hmm. locations, it's even there, not 
not reliable. And so we, what we see now is a lot of these athletes, winter sport athletes, becoming active in the climate change conversation, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting and very powerful narrative because they are literally at the front lines in places where most of us don't really spend much time. Mm-hmm. It's where they've been training since they were children. And so that firsthand experience to say year after year, the winters are becoming warmer because I've seen it because I no longer can train. And yeah, that's been a really powerful voice in Washington, D.C. now, too, because a lot of these athletes have become activists and gone down to D.C. to speak with lawmakers. And what makes it even more interesting is that there's a lot of respect for athletes because there's this sense that we we're all rally around them and want Mm -hmm. to support their really impressive and amazing work to represent the USA. Right. And and what their athletic accomplishments are highlighting is really a year-round industry for some mm-hmm. towns that host some of these ski resorts, because not only are the places where people are actually doing winter activities being impacted by the snow, but if less people can go to those places during the wintertime, then all the businesses where they might eat lunch or, or stop along the way in right. those towns, those are all being impacted. So restaurants, um, rental agencies for equipment, all those places. It's a downstream economic impact. Right. And it's a big one, too, because winter recreation alone generates about $7.6 billion for the Northeast economy. Every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a huge number. And by 2100, two professors at the University of New Hampshire have actually projected that only four out of the 14 major ski areas in New England will still be economically viable mm-hmm. due to climate change, warming temperatures, and the stresses that puts on business. Right. And some some of those ski resorts in Massachusetts and the Northeast are trying to compensate for the lessened snowpack they're seeing each year and are going renewable or adding more summer activities like zip lining, hiking or biking just to offset the fact that they're not getting as much snow. But they're definitely feeling the impacts of, of the changing winters that we're experiencing here. Yeah, and similarly, uh, the companies that produce products for the snow industry, so like snowboard mm-hmm. making companies, ski pole industries, right. they're going to be impacted as well. So we've actually spoken to the uh, owner of Grass Sticks Bamboo Ski Poles, yeah. and uh, he told us that they're actually making a paddleboard paddle now to uh, deal with the possibility that we're not going to need ski poles sometime in the future, or at least that they won't be as necessary, they won't be as sold as much. Whereas, you know, when snow right. melts, creates right. water, <laughs> paddle boards will be more in, <laughs> in demand. Right. Definitely. And beyond what our industries are seeing in, in the U.S. or other developed countries, they're really highlighting what's happening also in places where there are communities that rely on snowmelt for water mm-hmm. in the spring. And so Definitely. we're seeing glaciers receding and, and snow caps receding each year and less snow and precipitation happening as snow during the winter. And we're seeing that and we're seeing the industry impact. But for people who need that water for drinking and for crops and things like that, that's an even heavier impact for them as well. So it's really highlighting something that's happening around the world um, and impacting different communities differently depending on on what our economies look like. Yeah, we often think of that snow in the mountains as sort Mm -hmm. of a luxury for skiing and having fun with. uh, But a lot of parts of the world, uh, that snow and that that glacier melt is essential to their lifestyles, their food and their drink. 
Right. So yeah, this is definitely an issue that spans through implications for sport, for the economy, for livelihoods, uh, mm -hmm. for many, many different things. And it forces us to think about the real possibility that our future is going to look very differently than what we have been used to, especially with our winters. So today we have Maddie Fanouf as a guest on the podcast. Maddie is a member of the U.S. Biathlon National Team and she represented Team USA at the 2018 Winter Olympics. Uh, she's combined her love for the outdoors with an ongoing effort to protect it by advocating for environmental sustainability. So she was recently down in D.C. speaking to lawmakers and advocating for action with the nonprofit organization Protect Our Winters. Hello. Hi. Hi, Maddie. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks for asking me to join. So what was it like growing up in an old forge in the Adirondacks? And how did you get involved with the biathlon event? Yeah. So I moved here when I was eight years old. And my parents just put us on cross-country skis because they wanted us to experience winter because we had grown up in South Carolina before that. So they kind of wanted us to do an outdoor sport in the winter time. So we started with that and I really enjoyed being outside every day and experiencing the snow in winter. And so I kept doing skiing up through high school and in high school was when the local biathlon club in Old Forge didn't really have anyone involved, so they invited the high school Nordic program to come in once a week and learn how to shoot. So that's how I got introduced to it. Um, so I started shooting like once a week with the polar bear biathlon team, and I, I mean, I wasn't very good when I first started, <laughs> so I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. I was kind of like, why would I sit in the cold and miss targets and have to ski even more? <laughs> um, but then I kind of realized that there were. For me, there are a lot more opportunities with biathlon than Nordic skiing, just because there's so many people involved in Nordic, and there aren't that many people involved in biathlon. Mm -hmm. So when I was graduating high school, I was more involved in biathlon at that point, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with college. I, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. So I found this program up in Fort Kent, Maine, formerly known as Maine Winter Sports Center, now known as Outdoor Sport Institute, um, and they offered postgraduate high school program for focusing on biathlon training. So that's when I first kind of dove into full-time training. And then in your entire career experience is skiing and doing biathlon in the Adirondacks. Have you seen any of those areas actually being affected by climate change or how were the winters different from year to year in your experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was little and kind of growing up in the Adirondacks, I just remember there always being snow during Christmas. We'd usually start ski racing in December here and would rely on the snow from even maybe November, November, December, all the way through March. Occasionally, we, we would have like a thaw in January, which I think is pretty normal, but then we'd have snow again until end of March. But nowadays, it's rare, I feel like, to be getting on snow in this area before January, which is a bummer. <laughs> so usually we have to travel out to Canmore, Alberta, Canada, where they make a bunch of snow and save snow from the previous winter so that we can get on snow in December. And so, yeah, I think 
for the old forge in the Adirondack region, it really is, it's affecting the economy because our, t- our little towns rely a lot on winter tourism. And mm-hmm. if we aren't having the winters that we used to, then they're not going to be getting the snowmobilers or the skiers coming up to enjoy the winter, which not only affects the ski economy, like the downhill mountain and everything, but it also affects every business in Old Forge, like the grocery store and the coffee shops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I try to emphasize, too, for people. It's, it's not just the people who are enjoying the snow, but it's also the businesses that rely on those people. So, Maddie, nowadays you're working on issues like climate change with uh, Protect Our Winners, POW. What drove you to become involved in this climate conversation and be an activist for climate change policy? So, a couple years ago, it might have been about a year and a half ago, it was right around Christmas, New Year's time. I had been living in Lake Placid for two or three years, and I just was, <laughs> it wasn't like an existential crisis, but it was more of like, <laughs> I only felt like I was being seen as just an athlete, and I wasn't doing anything besides training, and it seemed kind of, I just felt really selfish in that way, and I have always looked up to professional athletes who use their platform to speak up about issues that they're concerned about and really care about. So I was kind of doing some research online, trying to figure out what type of organization I was hoping to get involved with and kind of speak out with them. And I found Protect Our Winners online and read, they have this thing called the Riders Alliance, which is an athlete platform full of tons of different professional athletes who go into schools and talk to kids about climate change and their impact and are also involved with writing op-eds and going to D.C. and lobbying and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was really cool. So I wrote them an email just being like, hey, I noticed that you have a lot of freestyle skiers and mountaineers, but have you ever considered a biathlete or cross-country skiing? Because I would really like to be involved. And so they reached out to me too and was like, oh, yeah, definitely you can join. And so I started out easing my way into school talks and reaching out to the younger kids, which is really cool to see because they're so receptive to that. They're kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is happening to our earth. How can we help? What can we do? And so it was really cool to work with them. And then I've just slowly been getting more and more involved. And they are really great about emailing us and being like, hey, we have this project we want to work on with you. Are you willing to help? And then depending on if you have time or not, you can pick and choose what you want to work with. And so I was really thankful to be invited to go down to D.C. with them because it was just one of those opportunities where you never know if you're going to get that opportunity again. And it was just so eye-opening and exciting to be a part of it. And in all of this and in going to D.C., what is the main message that you want to get across? What is the ultimate outcome that you are advocating for? We're basically advocating for the senators and congressmen to be voting for climate action and being on board and seeing that climate change shouldn't be political It is, but it shouldn't be people trying to not help the environment. We basically are trying to get Republicans, most Democrats are for climate action, but a lot of Republicans are seen as climate deniers or aren't sure if they want to sign on to that kind of stuff. So we mostly went down and talked to Republicans and tried to show our experience as athletes and explain to them how 
they can help us and the Olympics pretty much by voting for climate action and doing a better job with speaking out against climate change. And how do those conversations typically go with lawmakers down in D.C.? Do you find them to be frustrating, inspiring, fulfilling? (laughs) I think being an Olympian kind of helped (laughs) because they were all super positive and excited to speak with us. And we didn't have anyone argue with us. They were all totally on board. And we only spoke to Republicans, too. So we were expecting a few of them to kind of be like, "Mm, I don't really know if it's worth my time. I don't want to deal with this. It's not my job or whatever. But they were all very positive and and respectful. And they all were either already on board to begin with. A lot of them were like, oh, yeah, I've heard about the caucus and I've been wanting to join it. So I'm glad that you came and spoke to me more about it because now I really want to get involved and speak up against climate change. So we were all really excited that they were so positive because we had heard stories from the Protect Our Winners ladies that came with us. They were saying that in the past there have been a few people who one athlete was speaking up about Utah or something and the guy was just like, well, you can leave our state if it's too warm for you. And it's just like stuff like that where you're kind of like, are you kidding? It's not just the state, it's the whole country and the world. So so yeah, overall, the, the whole trip was really positive and it made me a little bit more excited about the future of our <laughs> politics. Yeah. I mean, right now we're kind of in a rough patch, but I, I think that the future is looking better. So, Maddie, what role do you think that public figures overall, such as athletes like yourself, can and should play in raising environmental awareness? Do you ever get frustrated seeing other famous athletes or public figures that aren't taking a stand on issues like this? Yeah, it's kind of like a mixture of emotions. I'm really excited, and I I feel like every athlete who has a platform should be using it and using their voice because there are so many young people who follow them and look up to them. So I think a majority of athletes' platforms are being viewed from the future generations who are going to be voting. So, I mean... Not every athlete has to be picking climate change for their voice, but I do think that if you have a following and a platform, then you should be using your voice to do something, whether that be getting more kids involved with sport or climate change or anything else that you believe in. But yeah, it can be kind of frustrating personally because I can be posting this stuff about climate change and... I can get tons of negative comments from mostly older white men (laughs) um, who are just like, you're too young, you don't know anything, like, kind of trying to bash me and make me feel like I don't have a right to speak out. But I just have to keep remembering that what I'm doing is beneficial and it's what I believe in, so I should just keep posting (laughs) about climate change and trying to reach those people who are younger and will want to make a difference. Right. And we have talked in the past in the podcast about how important and how different this new generation that's been brought up now sees climate change, because in the past and older generations, it was kind of the realizing and the science coming out about climate change. But now it's almost a consensus, right? So kids are learning in school from very young that this is a terrible thing. And even speaking to people a little younger than myself, and they're like, yeah, what's the debate? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So now it's, what do we do? Yeah. And yeah, like like this little kid, I remember I spoke about, I did the Hot Planet Cool Athlete Protect Our Winners uh, Hmm. presentation to this elementary school. And (laughs) 
this one six-year-old, he sounded so sad. He was just like, but how come nobody's doing anything about it then? <laughs> and I was like, I know. <laughs> trying to help. And he's like, what can we do? And he was just so sad. It's heartbreaking because these yeah. little kids are looking up and seeing that the president or whoever, they aren't really doing anything about it. They're kind of pushing it aside and not joining the Paris Agreement and just pretending that it's not real. But luckily... Most majority of the world <laughs> sees that it is real, and even yeah. if our president doesn't, then most of the U.S. is coming to that realization, too. Right. And winter athletes are definitely on the front lines, especially with receding snow lines, precipitation patterns being affected by climate change. Have any of the fellow athletes you've talked to been talking about climate change, how it's affecting maybe their, their training? It was really cool, because when I went down to D.C., I was with four other athletes, I went with Ariel Gold, who is a half-pipe snowboard bronze medalist at uh, Pyeongchang. Uh, David Weiss, who's a two-time gold medalist at the Olympics. Uh, he's a freestyle half-pipe skier. Jesse Diggins, cross-country skier, gold medalist. And then Stacy Cook, who's an alpine skier. And it was cool because we each got to kind of talk about our own first-person experience with climate change. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've noticed majority of my races are all on 100% man-made snow, and there might just be grass everywhere else. And I've traveled to the Alps where I expect there to be tons of snow in the wintertime, and it's just green grass. And wow. people like Stacy Cook, the alpine skiers, go to glacial camps a lot. They go up to the glaciers and do alpine training in the summertime. And she was saying that on the glaciers that they used to train on, where there's chairlifts, now there'll be chairlifts, and the glacier isn't there anymore. It's receded yeah. so high up that they can't even train where they used to train. You're able to see that so well. And then the halfpipe snowboarders and skiers were saying that since you need so much snow to build a halfpipe, if you don't have that snow, they're seeing more and more mountains not having half pipes just because they don't have the capability of building them and it's just kind of affecting their future generations of half pipe skiers and snowboarders because the little kids aren't being able to see them on their mountain anymore and so they aren't getting as involved so it was just kind of interesting to see yes we're all winter athletes but it all affects us a little bit differently we all see it every day in our trainings and our competitions so and that's a really powerful first-hand experience it's a really powerful voice that you all have yeah and that was cool being in dc because they've always had lobbyists go down and talk to them about facts and statistics and science while we went down there and our main goal was to go and talk to them about our first-hand experiences and make it more personal right. than science-based and i think especially too with olympic athletes Everybody in the U.S., each four years when we see the Winter Olympics, it's this huge communal experience that we get to see together and everybody roots for those athletes at those events. So it puts you in a great position to speak with lawmakers or, or children or, or anybody because we all feel so invested in, in how athletes do at the Olympics. So it puts yeah. you in a great position to then say firsthand what you're experiencing and everybody to really to have it resonate with people. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been great. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. You're doing amazing things. And we're excited to see what's next. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. thanks. Thank you so much, yeah. Maddie. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to talk with you guys. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. And follow us on Instagram at Cooler Earth. New episodes air every Thursday before your morning cup of coffee. Stay tuned for next week's episode, and thanks for listening. Stay cool.